Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you that it won't return void and that we're going to have an amazing time in the word this morning. Uh, there's a freedom uh, that's in this place today, and I'm looking forward to it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. You may be seated. Did anybody take the time to read ahead as to what we would be talking about this morning? Does anybody know what the third thing that kept Israel out of their promised land was? No, oh, no, 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 no. I'm hearing pages turn, phones coming on. Let me do a, just a small, small recap real quick before we get into today's message. So really what we've been talking about uh, this series has kind of been entering into your promised land. Amen? God wants his people to enter into his promised land. The New Testament version of that is Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it simply says out of the Amplified, living the good life which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. When we got born again, we got into the will of God. And remember our two statements about how do we, how do we enter into the, the good life or the promised land is, what, which, what's the first one, Mark? What would you say? Stay on the path, right? And what's the other one? Stay in your lane. Amen. His path is his will for your life. If you'll stay on that path, which is his will, it's going to lead you to your high calling. The closer you get to your high calling, the happier you'll be, the more resources you have, the more you're going to be fulfilled and satisfied because now you're heading into the, the thing that you were created to do. And you really get blessed for just doing what you were created to do. It really is an amazing thing. We want to stay in our lane. Amen. We're working out our own salvation with fear and trembling. Amen. I can't work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Husbands and wives definitely can't work out their salvation with fear and trembling. That will get you killed. So don't do that. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So there is a good life, a promised land, but even as covenant people, we can come up short from entering in to that good life or that promised land. And there were five things that kept Israel out of their promised land, and there's five things that can keep us as New Testament believers out of our promised land. The first two being, number one in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 6, it says, do not lust after evil things. And what we found out was, was there was a rabble, a mixed multitude that left Egypt with Israel. Uh, don't know if they were supposed to be there or not, but they began to yearn for mom's home cooking. And because they began to yearn, it influenced Israel where they began to yearn for mom's home cooking, and uh, it caused mass disaster. Now, what we're finding out is, is that Jesus, Daniel, Adam and Eve, and Israel were all tempted by the devil, all tempted the same way, because what the devil wants to do, and, and really this is important with that first one, is he wants you to change what God said. He wants you to break God's word or the devil wants you to break your word. Because if you'll do one of those two things, you'll come out from God's protection. Satan knew that if he could get Jesus to be tempted in the wilderness with food, what would have happened? Jesus would have not had the victory over him. Satan would have had the victory over him. Amen? What did Adam and Eve do? He tempted them with food. Why? Did God really say? Think about that. What Satan wants to do is he wants you to get you to break God's word 
or for you to break your word. Daniel took an oath that he was not going to eat these pleasant foods. Had he eaten those pleasant foods, he would have broken his oath. He would have been subject to the enemy. Satan is always trying to get us to break God's word. First and foremost, he wants to be our source. Number two, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 7, it says, Neither ye be idolaters, and oh my, the looks you gave me last week when we talked about idolatry. My, 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 wait till today. Ushers, lock the doors. No, I'm kidding. Kidding. Idolatry, neither ye be idolaters. Listen to me, the devil does not care who or what you serve as long as it isn't God. Makes no difference to him. You can worship anything. Anything, idolatry is deifying anything, whether yourself or a material thing, above God. Most of the time we realize when we're talking about idolatry is that it's about self. I'm putting me first. When I put me first, it doesn't matter. I'll put every, whatever I'll do to you, it doesn't matter because I'm a me first person. That's idolatry. One of the statements we wrote down about that was, you want something so bad, you will sin to get it, act sinfully to keep it, respond sinfully when you are deprived of it. Idolatry, and this is the problem that Israel had with the idolatry was, is that idolatry led to a rising up, a carousing, which led to them being unrestrained, which led to them to losing their testimony. Satan wants you to lose your testimony. That's one of his favorite things, is when a believer falls at the feet of the wicked that all of a sudden people don't listen to that person as much as they did before. It takes a lifetime to develop a reputation. You can lose it in seconds. Amen? The world is very unforgiving when it comes to that. Amen? So idolatry. Idolatry always leads to something else. Now, number three today. Are we ready? Neither let us commit fornication. Dun, 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 dun. Before I get about it, I want to make a little statement. We're going to talk about uh, fornication. We're going to talk about the sexual sin that kept Israel out of the promised land. First and foremost, as I was praying today, the Lord so gently and so wonderfully said to me, he said, Jack, don't make this bigger than it needs to be, but don't make it too small either. When we talk about things like this, especially in an open setting, there's just this stigma that comes along with sexual immorality. Amen? It just kind of changes the whole atmosphere of the world. But first, I want to do something. Marriage is a wonderful, beautiful thing. It is an amazing thing that God trusts you with the life of another person to live your entire life. And that marriage bed, it is a wonderful, beautiful, powerful place in the marriage. Come on, married people. Amen? It is a wonderful, beautiful. Young people, it is worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. It's worth waiting for. It's a beautiful to be able to spend your whole life with one person and grow with each other and love each other and look at each other and have that be such a beautiful, powerful center of your marriage. 
I want you to see the positives of it first. What it was created to be was a lubricant in marriage to keep, the, to keep everything kind of moving in track. Amen? It's a normal, healthy exchange between a married man and a married woman. You can't base the marriage on it. That'll get you killed. But it's a part, and it's a beautiful part, and I want you to get the best part of this. God created it. The best way that I can describe it was, I think Jimmy Evans talked about it in one of the marriage series, but he said God made boundaries. God is the creator of fun. Right? Fun didn't come from somewhere else. God is the creator of fun. God knows what's fun. But he took our fun and he put these beautiful boundaries around it and he said, folks, if you'll stay within these boundaries, this'll be fun. But if you jump this fence, it's not that it's not fun, it's that you'll get hurt. You'll get hurt. There's, there's danger out there. There's physical danger out there. There's, there's danger to your psyche. There's danger to your body. There's danger to your family. When you jump those fences and you go looking for other things outside of this fun, you're putting yourself and your family and those around you in danger. So I want to say that first and foremost, that marriage is a positive and the marriage bed undefiled is a positive. And young people, single people, look at me, hear me. It's worth waiting for. Amen? It's worth waiting for. But this is why there's such an attack against us. Because Satan knows that if he can get in there first, he'll try and mess this thing up where it takes years and years and years of people having to work through things and therapy and all the stuff that comes along with it. Amen? I always wonder, like, God, why do our bodies kick into gear when we're like 12, but we don't get married till we're about 23, 24? That's a long time. And he said, that's what your parents are for, to teach you how to steward your body. The world doesn't teach our children about sex education. Parents do. Parents teach children about the rights and wrongs. But if the parents are so deeply involved in something, how do I teach my kids? Come on. So, first and foremost, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication. We must not gratify, and this is 1 Corinthians 10, 8. We must not gratify evil desires and indulge in immoralities as some of them did, and 23 to 24,000 of them died immediately. 23, some commentaries say 24,000 jumped the fence. They jumped the fence. They got out of the God-ordained fun with the boundaries. They jumped the fence, and when they did, 23 to 24,000 people. Now, what if that happened today if someone committed fornication? We would all be dead. What if the penalty was that instant? But it's not anymore, is it? 
the, the, the sins of the body and the sins of, or, or of immorality and those types of things, we're so good at hiding them. We walk in them, we live in them, we indulge in them, we see them, we visit them. And it's become, listen to me, it's become so prevalent that we've accepted it and it's just kind of a part of who I am and what I do now. There's a spirit of truth in here today. The Lord is a spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And today is gonna be a day of liberty. Today is your get up, hallelujah, freedom day. Amen? But we're gonna have to bring it all into the light. No, we are not going to stand people up for different things. But we're gonna repent at the end of this service. And we're gonna bring it into the light. And we're gonna ask God to forgive us. And when we ask God to forgive us, then we're gonna start over. And then we're gonna provide you with some information on how we as a church can help you. It's so quiet. I don't know why. It's so quiet. All right. I want us to first, with this, we've got to make this distinction, okay? When we're talking about 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 8, we're talking to the church. We're not talking to the world. We are talking about immorality and fornication in the church. What happens in the world has nothing to do with what we're talking about today. Listen to me. People do not go to hell for fornication. People do not go to hell for adultery. People do not go to hell for murder. They go to hell because they never made Jesus Christ their Lord and Savior. Understand that. When we rail against sexual sin, we better make sure that we're railing against the church and not the world. To the world, we would say, get born again. To the church, we would say, renew your mind. And what we're talking about today is the church. We're talking all these things that kept Israel out of the promised land. He was talking to covenant people. You got to keep that in mind. Okay? So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Let's see how Paul dealt with this. And parents, if you have children, I'm not going to get into any specifics or diagrams or anything weird like that. We're going to keep it G-rated for God. Thank you, Lord. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. This is Paul speaking. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. Impurity of a sort that is condemned does not occur even among the heathen, for a man has his father's own wife. Let's set the table for this real quick, okay? Paul is in Ephesus. He's over 100 miles away from this church. This egregious act happens in one church where a man is having relations, not with his mother because it would have said mother, but it says with his father's wife, his stepmother. Does everybody understand that? This is not incest. This is a man, if, that would have been far worse. But this man was actually having and carrying on relations with his stepmother. Obviously, somebody in the church got on the internet and sent Paul 
an email, right, to let him know what was going on. No, no, no. He picked up the phone, shot Paul a call, texted him, wrote him a letter and gave it to the postal carrier. And the postal carrier, how did it get back to Paul? A hundred miles away. This act was so egregious in this church that one person had committed one act of sexual immorality that it traveled from traveler to traveler over land and over sea till it finally got to Paul. And Paul writes a letter, which is we just read, we're reading a letter of how he dealt with this, okay? Here's what Paul says. Let's look at verse 2, five verse, uh, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 2. This is what he says, And you are proud and arrogant, and you ought rather to mourn, to bound in sorrow and in shame, until the person who has done this shameful thing is removed from your fellowship and your midst. The attitude of the church while the sexual immorality was taking place in front of them was there was too much pride and not enough humility. Very, very possibly, someone had taken the grace message to an extreme. They were not humble. They were not contrite about what had happened in their body. They were proud of it. And there was no humility. Now, if Paul, a hundred miles away, got a report about one person that he wrote a letter that's in the Bible today, what would he think about us? What? (laughs) I don't think people roll over in their graves, and I think you can only throw up so much before you die. But I mean, if that one act so moved him to write a letter that's in the Bible today, what would he think about us and what we look at and what we do and what our thoughts are about sex? Do you see how far we've come, brothers and sisters? This is a freedom day. This is a good day. Amen? This is a good day, it's not a bad day, it's not a condemning day. No one should leave this room condemned, amen? Listen to me, there were five things that kept Israel out of the promised land, this was just one of them. This wasn't the main one, there were five things. Just because you did, there were five, four other things you could have done also that would have kept you out, okay? So let's not make two more, more of this than it needs to be but let's not make too little of it either. We can't just excuse the little things. We can't pray and fast and ask God for a move of God while we're actively committing sexual immorality in our lives. It won't work. God doesn't work that way. Remember what we said before, there's only, there's a throne on your heart and it only seats one. I can't have, can I just be honest with you? Because I really am today. Immorality is the same thing as idolatry. It's putting something else on your heart. Idolatry sits on my heart. Pornography, sexual, any, sexual immorality is, there's no love in it. It's all based on lust. And what's lust based on? Me. 
I lust, therefore I want, therefore I do. That's who's sitting on the throne of my heart. But there's freedom today. Smile. Point at your neighbor and say there's freedom. There's freedom. There's freedom. Thank you, Lord. Paul was shocked. Their story had reached him 100 miles away over land and sea. Now listen, Paul was not some unsophisticated scholar who never left his house and like, oh, they're just, I'm just such a prude. I've never seen or done anything. If you don't get a picture of what the world was back then, Corinth, the entire city, was a city that was built on prostitution. It was all about temple worship. So what Paul saw, Paul wasn't a prude. Paul didn't just go, I I just can't believe they did that in the church. I would never. I'm amazed at how many people that said, oh, I would never do and are doing currently. Paul was not a prude. He had seen it all. He had traveled all. He had been exposed to it all. So he wasn't just, oh my gosh, my honor. He was concerned about the health of the church. And that's why he addressed it, and that's why he sent his letter. His heart was broken that a Christian man would do such a thing and the church would idly stand by. It broke his heart. Listen to me. You cannot walk in love and sexual immorality at the same time. It's impossible. I can't do it. Let me give you a good scripture on that. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. Actually, we'll just go to 7. For God has not called us to impurity, but to consecration to dedicate ourselves to the most through purity. Therefore, whoever disregards, sets aside and rejects this, disregards not man, but God whose very spirit whom he gives you is holy and chaste and pure. Amen? God, all throughout the Bible, talks to us about purity. He talks to us about possessing our own. The microphone's bad? Okay. How's that? Better? Well, hello. Thank you. So, um, you can't walk in love and you can't walk in immorality at the same time. Now, we as, um, if you, I, I've looked at all kinds of statistics, I've looked at all kinds of studies, and, and our acceptance of things, even from, let's say, 2000 to 2020, have changed drastically. Our acceptance of marriage between uh, same-sex marriage, back 20 years ago, it was like at 20%. Now it's up over like 50 and 60%. Why is that? Media. We're constantly being inundated, and the more, the more we hear it, the more it becomes mainstream. The more accepting it is, the earlier our children hear it, the more accepting that it is. Um, abortion, I will say honestly, abortion has kind of stayed the same. I think the church has stood up and done a fight about abortion. The, the views on abortion really haven't changed that much over 20 years. Praise God for that. But 
sex outside of marriage, having children out of wedlock, uh, pornography, all those things have all trended upward because it becomes more prevalent, it becomes more part of our lives, the more accepting that it is, and it just filtrates and we become permeated in it and it's infiltrated the church. Amen? We're no longer convicted about what we do because it's now being accepted by the world. If there's no more conviction, that's a hard heart. When I do something or commit sexual immorality and there's no conviction in my heart, folks, there's a problem. There's a problem. It grieved Paul from 100 miles away where it shook him to his core. It broke his heart. It should break our hearts, ladies and gentlemen. It should break our hearts because it's hurting our brothers and sisters. I'm not controlling people. I'm not telling you what to do in your life or in your, but there's a whole generation that you do not tell them what to do in their private time. I'll listen to your Jesus. I'll listen to you about salvation, but don't you dare tell me who I can and can't have sex with. That's my business. That's the generations that we're dealing with right now. So we have to tell them the truth. Listen to me. If I really love you, don't I have to tell you the truth? Aren't I obligated? If God is love and I have love in me and I love you and I really love you, can I, do you think this is comfortable for me? This is the most uncomfortable thing in the world, but I love you. And I am willing to take the flack if one of you will just get free. It's worth it if you'll just get free. But we're not going to get free if we just keep doing business as usual. I just show up, I come to the church, I smile, I don't have really deep conversations with people because I'm scared, bloop, that's going to come out. It used to be, if you wanted to find out about a person, look at their checkbook. Because wherever the most of their money goes, that's who their God is. Now, give me your browser history. Tell me what you're looking at. Tell me what you're watching. Because now I know exactly what kind of person we are. Now look, I've come out of a lot of stuff and this is included. So I, I'm no lily white Christian up here trying to tell you what you should or shouldn't do. I was a user of the product and it almost killed me. But I got saved, I got healed, and through a process of discipleship, I got delivered. And I walk, and I tell you in front of my wife, my children, I walk free of this. I'm free. You can be free if you're willing to do the process. The process of getting delivered of sexual immorality is not falling, it's getting back up. You're going to fall. That's okay. It's as long as you're getting back up, that's where you're going to get the victory. You got to get up. You got to get up. You got to get up. If you fall, get up and keep moving forward. What I think we need to deal with, though, is the root of sexual immorality. We fight the symptoms. We talk about homosexuality. We talk about adultery. We talk about all these things, but we're going to deal with the root of this this morning for the little bit of time we have left. The word fornication is from a word called pornania. Porn, P-O-R-N-E-I-A. It's where we get our word pornography. I want you to notice that the root of all sexual sin starts with the word pornography. 
Pornography is by far the biggest, most pervasive sexual sin in the world today. By far. It blast past all this other stuff. Blast past it. And guess what? It's in this room right now. This room right now. Because it's so easy to get to. It is so everywhere. There are 400 million pornography sites today producing over 370 million pages a day. 40 million people look at it every day. 40 million. Let me give you a couple of more statistics. 47% of all families in the United States reported that pornography is a problem in their home. Pornography use increases the uh, marital infidelity rate by more than 300%. 11 is the average age that a child is first exposed to porn. And 94% of children will see porn by the age of 14. 56% of American divorces involve one party having an obsessive interest in pornographic websites. Uh, 68% of church-going men, and here's the worst one, 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. 33% of women aged 25 and under search for porn at least once per month. Only 13% of self-identified Christian women say they never watch porn. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. Now let me give you the worst statistic of all. Only 7% of churches have any type of outreach to help people. We have this problem, but we don't know how to help you. Well, we're changing that. We have help for you. Amen. Praise God for that. Come on. Give go. This is something that Pastor Mike and I have talked about, prayed about. We are endeavoring. We want to see people. We want to see you get free. Amen. But until we deal, listen to me, pornography is the oxygen for all sexual sin. You want to cut abortion out completely? Deal with pornography. You want to get rid of people getting married out of wedlock? Cut out pornography. It'll fix it immediately. See, we're fighting all these symptoms, but the mother of the whole thing is that people are watching this stuff, ingesting it, living off of it, and it's producing these things in people that are going off and doing and committing all of these things. And we never... Talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's get free. I would dare say that every person in this room in one way or another has been impacted by that. Whether it was somebody in your home or you were abused at the hands of somebody who was obsessed with it or if it was just, hey, boys are boys. You know, you're going to find out one day. You know, here you go. And back in the day, it was just videos and magazines. But now, these idols we carry around in our pockets, these phones, they're carriers of all kinds of horrible things. Parents, look at me. Do not 
let your children have unfettered access to the internet in their bedrooms. I don't care how many talks you've had with them, you are outgunned, you are outmanned at every position, you have prepared your children for a knife fight, and Satan has sent a nuclear arsenal. It is in everything. So look at me. It is time, parents, quit being friends with your children and be a parent. Well, pastor, it's too late. No, it's not. Well, how, how, remember what we said about an idol? We'll sin, we're sin to do it, we'll sin to keep it, and we'll sin to get it back. You take that phone away or that tablet away from that child, if they freak out, guess what their idol was? So I am highly encouraging you. You need to take an active look into what your children are looking at because it's, it's knocking. It's right there at the door. It's always knocking, trying to get in. You're two clicks away from seeing some of the most horrendous stuff the world has ever seen. Pornography is made by men for men. Women don't act like that. And men get a thought that that's how a woman acts. And when they get married, and here's this beautiful Christian girl who saved herself. I saved myself for this man. Here comes this Christian man. And she has no idea what this young man has been exposed to and what his thoughts and views about sex are. And the first time she becomes an object, she shuts him down. Oh, I'm preaching good now. Women, you are not objects. And if you ever think that you have to lower yourself to meet some person's What you do in your bed is between you and God. As long as you're two consenting adults, parents, married, amen, what you come up with, man, have fun. God's a creator of fun. Amen? Have some fun. But it should never be degrading. You should never leave feeling used, hurt, bloodied, that's, that's not God. You should see the men are all like. <laughs> Some of the ladies, too, they're like, mm, is Luby's going to be open here in a minute? Because I'm, I'm going to ask Miss Robin to come. And uh, I'm not going to single anybody out today. That's not what God's intention was. Paul said, don't. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, they thought Paul was saying, don't associate with anybody that's sexually immoral. And what Paul was saying was, no, no, don't associate. There's no way you can't, you can't go to Walmart without associating with somebody who's sexually immoral. You'd have to stay home all day because it's so prevalent. What he was saying was, is don't associate it with somebody in the church. Amen? Now look. We're all in a process together. We're all coming out of something together. And you need to keep coming. This is the process. Discipleship, healing, deliverance, this is part of the process. Brother Mike and I are going to have some more specialized type of teaching and some help groups for men. Hallelujah. Amen. 
We're going to come. We're going to be open and honest. We're going to get healed and delivered. But I just think we as a church, and maybe not for you, but we just need to repent. We need to repent because we've just let this thing go. Listen to me. Pornography has never healed one marriage. It's never protected one daughter, and it's never prepared a young man to be a man. It is violent, corrosive to the soul, and highly addictive. It has toppled presidents, pastors, leaders of business, athletes. Doesn't matter. The lie of pornography is is that you think you're hunting it, but oh, no, no. She's been hunting her prey for years, and she is good at it. Many a man has fallen because they thought, I can handle it. And one visit, that thing comes with you. You don't go to it. I'm trying to get across to you how serious this is. We're not playing patty cake with this. This is the real deal. So I'm just going to ask, could we just stand? If this is you, you don't need to raise your hand or anything. I'm not trying to single anybody out. But you just need to repent. If this is something you're struggling with, then you need to ask God to forgive you. And then you need to get right back on the horse, and you got to start over. How do I start over, Pastor Jack? You have to renew your mind. You've got to get to the point where you hate it. Kind of like an ex-smoker hates smoking. You've got to hate it. You've got to see it for what it is, that it's a predator, and it's after you, your marriage, and your family. It is a carjacking trying to happen. It is a home invasion, except it's coming in through your media ports in your house. There's no love in it. It's murderous at its very root. So I'm encouraging, don't play patty cake with this. Moms, dads, caught your children with this, don't shame them. Because the shame that gets associated with it makes it harder to get them delivered. I just can't believe you did that. That's so disgusting. That's so gross. Try being a man for about, oh, 15 minutes. And what we think about and what we get tempted with in our minds, it is a lot. Amen? But there has to be forgiveness. Doesn't mean acceptance, but there has to be an atmosphere for healing and deliverance. It just can't be shame. Shame's not from God. You got to bring it into the light. You got to bring it into the light. Let's get free. You want to get free? Let's get free. Father, we humbly come before you in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray over every person in this room right now, Lord. Gosh, there's an anointing here right now for this, to deal with this. And I'm asking, Father, that each one of us would be brave, that we would bring it into the light. Lord, you know that it's there. You know what I'm dealing with. First and foremost, Lord, I ask you to forgive me of my sins. Forgive me for lustful thoughts. Forgive me, Lord, for excusing the little things that I do. 
for justifying what I do. Lord, I'm ready to do business with you today about this matter in my life. I bring it into the light, God, and I ask you to forgive me for this idolatry. And in place, I receive your forgiveness. Listen to the master of the father saying, I forgive you. Now, Father, I plead the blood of Jesus over each and every one of us. I'm asking you, Father, for revelation. I'm asking you, Lord, for help. Lord, your word said, as greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. So, Lord, I'm praying for a greater revelation of the force, the power of God that's at work inside of me. And I'm asking you, Lord, show me, Lord, show me. Show me, Father, how to walk this thing through so that I can be everything that you've called me to be in Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Now, there's common sense things you've got to do. We are like alcoholics trying to get free from alcohol but live in the bar. That's how hard this is because we're surrounded with media. Your computers, your phones, your tablets. It's your source of work. It's your source of study. See how sneaky this is? You got to get it out of your house. There's no way you're going to be able to fight this and go back to the same computer alone. It's not going to work. Don't, don't leave this place thinking that because of the, little, the prayer we just prayed that this is over. There are things that you are going to now have to do in the natural to protect yourself. And first and foremost is don't put yourself in a, don't set yourself up for failure. Because we've already proven not quite strong enough. Amen? So you need to come up with a system and a plan for how you treat media, when you look at it in the room. Parents, your computer should be in the middle of the house where everybody can see what's on the screen when they walk by. Common sense. We got to use common sense. Amen? Hallelujah. Well, Father, we thank you for today. Thank you, Father, for freedom. Say, I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen? Hallelujah. Point at somebody on your way out. God bless you. Jesus is Lord. We'll see you soon.